so I guess we're about six weeks into the sheltering in place uh, apparatus, <laughs> I guess. And uh, we're doing okay, I think. Some parts of the country are reopening. I think here in California, a similar thing will be happening. They say by, I don't know, June 1st, you might see restaurants, you might see record stores, you might see department stores all opening up once again. And, uh, and that'll be great. We will officially be let loose into a world where there's a virus and there is no cure. Have a great summer. Anyway, some of you might miss the free time. You'll be back at work, uh, socially distancing, of course, but uh, you might miss the free time. And I can tell there's a lot of free time out there happening because our mailbag is very full. It's fun to hear from you, so keep writing. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Whatever's on your mind, uh, just let me know, and uh, I'll see what I can come up with, okay? Today's letter comes from Didi from Mendocino, California. Hi, Alex. I'm sipping my fresh-brewed coffee, looking out on the morning. I'm a huge fan of yours, the show, of music, of hard-shell tacos, <laughs> milk, and dark chocolate. But I was curious, do you have any pets? During this quarantine, my dog has become attached to my lap during Zoom conferences, and I fear he now thinks this is the new norm. We're both reveling in the bonding for now, but I dread the day I have to drive to the office and leave him to watch reruns of The Price is Right alone. Well, Dee Dee, I do have a pet. The cat Saffron is the studio cat, and, uh, and normally he's a great sidekick. Very supportive, non-judgmental, sleeps a lot. Um, that actually might be how my ex-girlfriend describes me, but that's, that's Saffron. There is talk of another cat, uh, but I'm having second thoughts because we have a a big, beautiful chair here in the studio from the Pottery Barn. By the way, not a plug. They didn't give us the chair, um, but if they want to give us another one, we could use it because Saffron has ripped the shit out of this one. But here's the thing. He did it on the side of the chair that's closest to the wall, so I actually didn't even know he did it uh, until I dropped my keys there and looked up in horror. Um I checked it out yesterday, and I discovered that he's actually torn it up so much, it's no longer a tear. It's, well, it's a hole. <laughs> and here's the thing that's weird. I reached my hand inside that hole, Dee Dee, and you know what I found? Four million dollars in cash. And a gun. What I'm saying is, you think your dog is watching The Price is Right, Dee Dee, but I'm guessing he's not. I think he's probably burying money in a hole. Look into it. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
the music of my guest today on the program, Joan as Policewoman. Let me tell you a little bit about Joan as Policewoman. Well, you guys know me. I love to start with a quote, so let's do it. I know a girl who cries when she practices violin, Connor Oberst once wrote, because each note sounds so pure it just cuts into her, and then the melody comes pouring out her eyes. Now, to me, everything else just sounds like a lie. I know what he means, because I have the same feeling after I listen to Jonah's Policewoman. The Maine-born but Connecticut-raised Joan Wasser grew up playing piano and violin, and by the time she got into the program at BU's College of Fine Arts, she realized that classical music was cool, but there were so many other things that were, well, kind of cool-er. So she played in a few punk rock bands, jammed a lot with her pal and classmate Mary Timoney, And then she joined the Dam Builders as the band's violinist. She left after three records in 96, and while her CV is far too exhaustive to enumerate fully here, I'll give you a couple of highlights. She was in Those Bastard Souls, Black Beetle, and Antony and the Johnsons. She played in Rufus Wainwright and Joseph Arthur's bands, and she's done live performance and studio work for Elton John, Sheryl Crow, Placebo, and John Cale. Believe me, I'm cutting this down a lot. If we had an hour just to devote to her credits, we could fill it. But the point of all of this is that midway through her career, Joan Wasser created Joan as Policewoman. It was an alter ego that evoked strength and autonomy and inner fire, and it also found Joan harnessing and realizing the powerful singing voice that was inside her all along. A stirring blend of lustrous notes that rise and fall and soar and sneak soulfully into your psyche— One listen to that voice, and everything else will indeed sound like a lie. And that's the truth. She's got eight solo records, and they're all remarkable. Her new one is a sequel to her 2009 cover album. It's a second go-around of Joan as Policewoman covering tracks by everyone from Prince to Blur to The Strokes. And it is, predictably, fantastic. Joan as Policewoman is a true artist, and this album further proves that she's singular, powerful, and very, very special. And she's a lot of fun to talk to. Enjoy this conversation. It was a blast. This is me and Joan as Policewoman having a chat on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I know. Well, thank God you and I are normal. Oh, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Define normal, my friend. (laughs) 
Well, I, uh, I, you know, I don't know, but I think that, uh, you know, at least we can identify the things that freak us out. So that makes us normal. Yes. That, that does, that helps a lot. So I was reading up on you and uh, it seems like you had very supportive parents who encouraged you to pursue a career in the arts. You know what they did is they, just like them, they said, you should do what makes you the most happy. Um, like when I was trying to figure out what I, what I was going to do, like where I was going to go to um, school, uh, you know, my mom said, the, clearly the place you're happiest is when you're making music. And, you know, I, you, should, you should probably do that although it's not going to be easy, you know, you know, she said, it's not going to be an easy road because it's, it's difficult to find security and all, all the things that really mattered to her and also would matter to a kid, you know, your kid, you know, telling your kid, like, I want you to be secure and stuff, but I, I'd rather you be happy. So, I mean, you know, really cool, cool people. Also, they never pushed me. And that's also why I still, that's also why I still play music and love it. It's like, they didn't start me when I was three. Like most of the people I went to, I went to music school. So most of the people I went to music school with started like almost a decade before I started. Cause I just started in public school because they offered it, you know? So otherwise, oh, I studied classical violin. And your mom was right. Like, not only was it difficult, years, all these years later, she was so right. People won't even buy your music. You have to actually, like, you have to actually play live to make a living only. That's right. Yeah. Which, thankfully, I love playing live. But it is, it is really, um, yeah, it's it's intense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, the, the opportunities for revenue, I just see them every day getting narrower and narrower. Are you I mean, a musician? I'm not. I'm a writer. And, uh, you know, for people in my community, too, I can definitely see um, how that's becoming a problem. You know, yeah. um, yep. I don't think that it's been as impacted as as music has, um, you know, but but good God. I mean, you really have to. I mean, you're really making your money on the road. Isn't that right? That's right. That is absolutely right. I mean, in certain ways it divides it 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 um in certain ways it separates the people that make music at home and can't play live with the people that actually have spent their life practicing to be proficient at their instruments um you know <laughs> so i mean that is one thing that that's true it's it's a harsh it's really harsh but you know i mean the fact that when i do play live and i i have like these people that i play with that are just outlandishly talented um uh you know the the very best musicians in my opinion in the world uh because that's what it's come to those are the those are the only people that now are left uh, that are actually able to make a living. You have to be the, the, the top at, at 
top level <laughs> instrumentalist to to stay afloat. So intense. Now with this quarantine, especially where where you know you and I are both, you're in New York, which is the you know, that's the hotbed, and and I'm in San Francisco. Um, which is, you know, a few places behind, but still pretty intense. That whole revenue stream right now has come to a standstill. Is that freaking you out or are you holding steady? That the situation was such that like I and everyone else had no control over any of it. Right. Um, somehow is uh, mellowing the freak out because things are so much more dire on much more basic levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, in our tour, you know, I was, was going to be on tour in May and June, um, and that was going to pay not only me, but the two musicians I was going to go out with, my manager, right. my booking agent, and my sound guy, all those people, all of us are out of that income. And it's so little to start with, <laughs> <laughs> even when we do amazingly. It's still very little, you know. So, um, I mean, I, I guess I tend to worry more about the people that I was supposed to be paying than myself, which is, I mean, not necessarily particularly smart, but um, I think I can like avoid thinking about what I'm going to do by like worrying about other people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But um, you know, I I uh, I I guess I'll worry in I'll worry I'll worry late. I feel like I'll worry later. You know, that's what I that's what I feel like. I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm putting off the extreme worry until later. Well, I admire that <laughs> quality. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Not yeah. Easy. Not easy, but I mean, you. You know, you and I, I'm I'm a month older than you. And so when I name these bands, you'll understand what I mean. But in the old days, they would say things like, you know, bands like the Rave Ups or bands like the Replacements or even the Dam Builders. Bands, if critical acclaim uh, translated into money, you'd be living in a mansion. I mean, you, you've, you know, you've been well regarded and well reviewed, you know, really for the most part, you, you know, your whole life. And so it must be kind of frustrating to go like, Oh, clearly I'm doing everything right, but I can't seem to, you know, it's really tough to carve out a living as an artist. Uh, I mean, I just have to concentrate on the fact that I get to do what I love to do, which I'm constantly reminded of the other side of things um, because so many people don't have that luxury. You know, I've, I've, I've created a life where I have no children. And I have no partner <laughs> as well. So I don't, I'm not taking care of anyone else either. Uh, you know, so it's not like I'm worried about my kids and, you know, it's like, it's just me here. And that's also, you know, very lonely at times. Um, but it's also, you know, um, I, I mean, I guess it's sort of how I've always always lived and always known or always felt like I needed to keep it that way so that I could continue to do exactly what I wanted and not have to worry about making money because I never saw it. I never saw the possibility um, really 
show itself very clearly. So, I mean, I could make enough to live and that felt like I was pretty golden just with that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's strange. Again, we also born in 1970, we have such a very, and I have a lot of friends that are 1970. Um, we, we have lived through such an interesting, unbelievably uh, tumultuous time of change, like shocking amount of change. Uh, I feel like in a certain way, people that are our age are best suited for this kind of insane necessity to be flexible. Mm. Because we've just seen everything go haywire. The whole, I mean, especially being a musician. And have you been a music writer your whole life? I have. Yeah, I've been a music yeah. writer. Oh my God. First of all, yeah. congratulations. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, it's, it's because I do a lot of stuff in mostly in Europe, you know. So I, I, I have over the years now, now I talk to pretty much the same journalists every time because it's gotten honed down to so few people that now I'm like, I just talk to the same person each time I release a record because it's like the person that does most of the music right. Right. So yeah. I, I applaud you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's mostly, I mean, my strategy was just endurance. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, it's basically it. I mean, and you talk about your life, no partner, no kids. I mean, that's by design that right that is so you can yeah. do what you do yeah <laughs> and and no regrets right like you have no you you don't ever think oh i should have been a psychologist i should have been you don't you have no regrets yeah i have no regrets yeah me either music is the thing music is like the thing that has kept me alive and happy so i mean it's it's a never it's a never ending giver music it just continues to provide hope, strength, um, uh, whole whole new worlds. Especially like I'm always trying to collaborate with other people and just like connection. You know, connect. so yeah, no no regrets. I I'm I'm so thankful. Uh, I I got to do this in my life and will continue to. You know. You seem like a very good collaborator. I mean, you seem like somebody who works well with others. <laughs> um, I, I love others. I mean, I, I love hum humanity. I do. And I love others. And I love others. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I love learning about how people approach music and how people feel about music when they're playing it and how people listen to other people when they're playing w with each other and I mean that that also is like such a a, a never-ending delight for me 
So, yeah, I'm really um, always attracted to to people that are up for collaboration and people who are clearly like me and who love collaborating and search it out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, uh, it expands and, and enriches my life, like, to no end. So, yeah. Yeah. And doesn't it also, you know, collaborating with people that are so good, doesn't it make you better too? Like, you know, you have to be on it. And, and, and doesn't it really improve you ultimately as well? Oh, yeah, it's totally, <laughs> totally, totally uh, beneficial um, in terms of, I mean, the thing is, is that I have to, the thing that it forces me to do is it actually also accept who I am. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I can't play piano like Keith Jarrett. I can't play guitar like Jimi Hendrix, you know, and so it's, or I can't sing like Nina Small, you know, it's like, I, I it's, it's a constant reminder that who I am is great, uh, is enough, you know, I mean, sorry, that's like so cheese ball, but, but, it, you know, when, when you make music for forever and you're surrounded by these people that you're just in awe of, and then, oh my God, now I'm playing with them. Well, what do I have to offer? Well, actually, you got to right now figure out what you got to offer. Like, yeah, you got to serve it up. Like, right, right now. What do you got? So it's the constantly putting myself in uncomfortable situations that, you know, actually really turns me on. Like, it's horribly uncomfortable. But, but then, but I'm always really happy in it. Like, I, sometimes I feel like throwing up, but that's fine. <laughs> that'll change. That'll move away. You know, so yeah, I mean, it does, it brings out, it puts me in a position where I'm forced to find, find the thing that I can, can, that I can contribute to the, to the uh, collaboration, which yes, always forces me to, to, to be better. Absolutely. And so in that electric moment of, uh-oh, I might throw up, you never do. Instead, you just rise to the occasion. Do you like that that electricity of that sort of jolt, that moment that goes, okay, here we go? Absolutely. I'm a total thrill seeker and like a hedonist. So like I've had to like cut certain things out of my life because <laughs> of that. If, yeah. So, I, you know, so so finding that, thrill is I mean that's also really important to, to my life and that is such a positive way to find it uh I do love that thing where where you just are swept off your feet and it's like that dream where I feel like I can fly I feel like I can fly and you actually go running off the cliff and then it's like gotta figure out how to fly now right now <laughs> You know, so yeah, I mean, it is that is that is a uh, an incredibly um, just life affirming uh, position and moment to 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 live through. 
Yeah, like when I sit down to talk to you, I don't have any questions planned. I just want to talk to you. And I love the idea of knowing that I don't know where we're going to go and that when we get there, it'll be, you know, it'll be really fun. Um, but, it, you know, that so for me, the electricity of how are, are Joan and I going to hit it off um, is to me is is the most exciting thing because I don't I, who knows what we're going to talk about. Right. We have no idea. And I love that. I love that. So for me, it's a comparable moment. That's so true. It's always, you know, improving, making jazz. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, you said something a little bit ago that I really want to get back to because I love what you said, how you were saying, like, I am enough. Like, I am I am enough. And and you know that's that I love hearing that you and I have both have a big birthday coming up and at this point in our lives it's we should feel that way but did you feel that way as a kid in other words did you feel that you were sufficient did you feel um you know growing up with a peer group did you did you were you able to kind of get your head around the idea of like I may not be like these people but I'm cool I'm okay <laughs> that's yeah that's an interesting question I I feel like I sort of, I feel like I was in a a very lucky position growing up because I was different from everybody else, especially like my, because my family, we were a lot of, there was a lot of different colors in my family. And we didn't look the same as regular families. And my parents were very unique. Um, And uh, I always went to school with, I grew up in in a community that was really honestly diverse, where there was lots and lots of different kinds, people from different countries with different, um, you know, monetary means, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I learned early on that I, I, I could, I, I loved to, and I could really sort of hang out with most people if I was just open-minded, you know? Um, and so I never... I don't feel like I ever really had a a prescribed clique or something. I sort of hung out with all different groups of people. And when sometimes that felt a little bit scary, like I don't have, like I, I, I did have like kind of like a, you know, my own like kind of gang, but like it was mostly sort of like dipped in and out of a lot of, a lot of different, groups of of people like especially because I was interested in a lot of different kinds of music as well Uh, I mean music is like the thing that also brings everybody together oh like you like you know oh you're you know you're into Haitian music oh now we're gonna talk you know we're gonna talk about this like it's like a a, it's a thing music brings everybody together like you may not be able to talk about um, patient and culture, but you can like talk about the music because you've been listening to it and you love it, you know. So, um, 
so something something about the fact that I I it, I was aware of the fact that I could um, find uh, find similarities with a lot of different kinds of people. It it gave me a sense of belonging in a way that I think has helped me survive in general in my life throughout my life. Um, <laughs> I it it. it, it, it it's interesting because uh, I, so when I mentioned, um, I went to, to school for classical violin. So when I was growing up, like I was kind of like, I, I had, I, you know, for some reason, like I had a natural talent for, you know, for the violin and stuff and took, took private lessons and stuff. My, my teachers thought I was good enough, you know? And then I got to school and I was by far the worst. <laughs> like by millions of steps. Like the fact that they let me into the school, I mean, I realize now, I mean, I feel like I understand now they let me into the school because, um, I mean, I think they probably saw that I had musicality. I didn't have the technical prowess anywhere near anyone else that had started when they were three and that were playing the Paganini, you know, I mean, it was like crazy what these people were doing because their parents had sort of put them on this path and, and they, 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 obe they had to obey. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I really got, uh, I got, knocked down so hard when I got to school and I like my teacher like didn't let me actually play for three months because I had he had to change my bow hand completely the way I used my right hand um so I couldn't actually even play in orchestra for like the first three months it was just appalling <laughs> um and I, I really like, also I had moved to Boston, a place that I, I hated and I didn't know that it, that it wasn't going to be like New York City because New York City was my template for city. And I was like, oh, it's another East Coast city. Bam. Ooh, ouch. You know, so like that first year I was not, it was really disturbing. But what I found were a lot of, a lot of people who one felt the way I did. And then like, I, I met a friend who I'm, was, who I talk to all the time still, she's a really close friend. I met a woman the first day of school named Mary Timoney, who ah. was from DC. We felt, we both were in the music school. She was, she was there for studying classical guitar and I remember at orientation, we saw each other from across the room and it was like, there's my person. And, you know, like I got her like a space and on the floor of my dorm. And then we started playing together. She had been in bands, you know, forever. And I had never really played off the page. I was the classical musician. So while I was like listening to all this, 
you know, like tons of different music. I wasn't, because I didn't play guitar or drums or something. Like I didn't really know how to play just using my mind. So I started playing with her and it's really scary not reading, but I mean, that's how I learned was playing with her. Uh, so, you know, it's, I don't even know what the question was, but uh, I think it was, did I feel like I belonged or did I feel like, did I feel enough? Well, like, like in the midst of me getting sort of uh, crushed at school, um, I was, I, I was also like al- getting allowed to bloom in this other way that actually impact, impacted my life forever. And you were you were somebody who liked Mahler, but you also liked Minor Threat. Like in other words, you you recognize that the energy in punk rock or the energy in in classical music, uh, though it came out in a totally dissimilar way, that the impetus is probably the same. Like the energy is probably the same going in, right? Yeah, I never saw so much difference, you know, with with in music in general. It's all emotion and all. I mean, you know, they, they did riot when the right right of spring was played. I mean, because it was so punk rock and so against what people were used to hearing. Right. There were riots, and when you hear it now, it is just as heavy. It's scary, you know. Stravinsky is scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, there's certain. Yeah, right. I I know exactly what you mean. And we we come from an era where music was so tribal. Where, you know, like where I went to high school, if you were a goth and you were hanging out with the jocks, that was like scandalous. I mean, it was so excited, yeah. yeah. you know. Um. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you sound like you could you could sort of move between groups with ease, which is a rare thing. I mean, sort of, you know. It's like I was I was the weirdo violin player with the blonde mohawk <laughs> who like dared to talk to everybody. Like that is literally who I was. I got rocks thrown at me all the time, like with like freak, you know, just like Stuff like that. Like, definitely I didn't fit in, but I tried to use that not fitting in to to just hang out with anyone who was, like, willing to take the chance and be seen with this weirdo, you know? And there were a lot of people that were, thankfully. Did you... Were you a fan of Helium? Did she have Helium going at the time, or...? No. She did not. No. No, she didn't. I mean, that was literally, we arrived at school at 18, and she had been playing um, in bands in D.C., um, but that was like when, you know, she, she would have helium, uh, I don't know, in the next couple of years, but that was pretty, um, you know, pre pre-helium uh you know but she was like working it out at that at that point 
it's interesting being somebody who listened at 16 or 17 to what they used to call college rock. Um, I became aware of like the violin being alive in the music I liked through bands like Camper Van Beethoven or the Pogues. And I kind of went, Oh, you can put a violin in a, in an, a college rock song. How cool. Um, when did you realize that you could actually be a part of the alternative college rock scene with your instrument? Yeah, it was then. It was like when I got to school and I never really considered that I could be. Uh, and then I, you know, I started playing with Mary and then I just started really like playing with every, everyone I could. Uh, you know, Berkeley was there in, in Boston as well. And there were all these people that were studying engineering and had to um, like record the violin for their, uh, you know, for their school um, to learn how to record, how to mic up a, an acoustic violin. You know, so there'd be ads like, uh, you know, needed violin player to, to record, you know, 15 bucks. I was like, yep. You know, and then I would meet people like through that, like, hey, you want to like play, you know, we're, we're like doing this, you know, you want, you want to play with us tonight? We're going to like go meet at the practice. Sure. You know, so <laughs> it's just sort of, I said yes to everything. I mean, I pretty much behave in the same way now. Um, I, you know, so then I just ended up meeting lots of different kinds of people learning about the different music scenes that were happening in, in Boston at the time, which were really cool. Um, and, and just, and, and, and figuring out how to electrify my violin, learning about processing the violin with pedals, and stuff, you know, so yeah, yeah. It took off from there. And, and what a time to be in Boston too. I mean, Oh, positive, Scruffy the Cat, the Del Fuegos. I mean, there there were so many great bands. You must have seen a lot of cool live shows. I did. I saw none of those bands. <laughs> um, <laughs> I picked all the wrong but, ones. Well, no, that I'm I'm sure that stuff was happening. I was completely not keyed into that at all. Um, I was. I think I was more. Um, I mean, I think I was more into like more maybe more arty stuff and more like I don't know like I mean I I remember with all all the sub pop stuff that would come through would play at this like really shitty metal venue and I saw all those bands the first time they came through I saw Nirvana when they're like with four other people I saw you know Soundgarden with like 15 other people you know, they, so I just, I feel like there was all this music coming through because Boston was a place where, where you'd play as a touring artist, obviously. So, you know, like I saw the Jesus Lizard probably 20 times when I lived there. I mean, that, that's one of the greatest live bands of all time. Um, You know, so stuff like that. Um, And, and, but then there was like this spot on Mass Ave. There's this crazy, 
crazy color line in Boston uh, where, you know, white people lived on this side, black people lived on this side, and you didn't really cross. Uh, and there was this little jazz club, I kind of remember the name of it, it's like, really, it's well known, but um, it was kind of in between that zone, and there'd be jams all the time. And I just had my mind blown there, like completely blown, because it was not far from Berkeley. Um, and just like, I mean, that's the first time, like, I, I was like, I, I, I was just like, oh my God, look at what these people are doing. Like, it, it, like in real time, like on the spot, they have not been rehearsing. People would just get up and play. Uh, I mean, this had been happening for years. But I had never seen it. I had I had never been um, around like people like like jazz and a lot of like R and B and funk musicians too. Like that that were just like playing together on the fly and just making the most mind blowing shit. Like that. Then I was just like, wow. Okay. I, like worlds exist that I didn't know about. Uh, and and that that was really exciting too it yeah it makes you wonder like what would have happened if you'd gone to college in ohio i mean i think just your geographical location was such a was such an important it was such an important choice that you made yeah i agree i mean i love new york city so much and what oh it's called wally that place is called wally uh the jazz club um but uh I love New York City so much and would take the train in all the time. I saw in the mid 80s, I saw so many bands on the piers on the west side play. Um, you know, I would I would come in for like Sunday afternoon hardcore matinees at CB's. You know, I mean, so yeah, growing up near New York City was beyond. And then, I mean, I didn't realize, but I was going to an extremely provincial, racist, sexist, homophobic town, but it was still on the East Coast. Right. And it right. was, you know, it was still, it still had elements uh, of um, collaboration and communication with a lot of different people, even though Boston is really, was really confused. Pardon me, but really confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's true. I, I feel very, I, I feel very, uh, you know, lucky that I, that I, that I was around. I mean, it started with my parents, like they cared about living in a diverse community. Uh, that was really important to them. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up that way, and then I've never really been completely comfortable not living in a diverse community. I, I, I worry sometimes that artists will sometimes choose an artistic school, and it's so far removed from that kind of um, electric city life 
um, that they're just sort of isolated in in the hills somewhere. And I'm not so sure that's the the best thing for nurturing your art. I think you should. I mean, it depends on who you are, obviously. But I like the way you're describing it. That sounds like perfect for shaping a young artist's brain. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. It was it was everything. It was uh, really. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been attracted to places that don't have a lot of different kinds of stuff going on. So, yeah, yeah. I, don't under, I don't understand that at all. I mean, I guess if you're going to, like, just, you, you already know you just want to study classical music and you want to practice seven hours a day and not get distracted, um, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I guess but, that would be okay then. Sure. You miss out on life though, and then you're playing might. Did what? Well, yeah, I mean, you must. Did you like going to punk shows? I mean, did did you like that sort of the mosh pit momentum of the feeling? Did you did you like that kind of atmosphere? The mosh pit part embarrassed me. I was like, really, guys, <laughs> like cut it out. Like you guys look really dumb. And you're like actually taking up all the space, like where we should all just be able to be at, at the front of the stage, like lame. Um, but uh, I mean, the, the first couple of shows I ever saw in my life were at this club in Stamford, Connecticut, Connecticut called the Anthrax. It's an all ages punk rock club in the basement of an independent art gallery, meaning like pretty much like a room with some, uh, you know, with some paintings in it. Um, and, you know, the, the first couple shows I saw in my life were Black Flag and, and Bad Brain. And th those, those changed my life definitely forever. Like the, the feeling I got inside was like, first of all, also as like a 14, 15 year old, I was just like, it, it felt like um, just really like the tonic for my nerves, you know, like it might be, sound different, like the opposite to some people, but like that kind of feeling at that point was like exactly right. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, the absence of women in it was like kind of ridiculous, but, you know, yeah. I did find like at the Anthrax, I saw... Sonic Youth, so I saw Kim Gordon. I was like, what? Also, I saw The Fall, and, like, Bricks was playing bass. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, these people are fucking cool. You know, so I, I did see, I did see, like, the smatterings of some women in there, and I was always really, obviously, really happy to, to see that. Um, but then, you know, I was like, Susie and the band. I saw Susie and the Banshees every time they played on, on the piers in the '80s. You know, so uh, yeah, I love I love that feeling so much. The the heavy, way too loud, in your face energy, fire feeling. There were worse Oh, so cool. 
was it about Susie? Because she's so commanding and so mysterious. Did, what about her really resonated with you? Yeah, she's kind of scary. Um, yeah. And yeah. she also, yeah, and she also, like, like, I grew up listening. My parents were not were pre-Beatles, so, like, I didn't grow up when I was young, really young, um, until I started buying, like, vinyl from the Salvation Army. I didn't grow up listening to the Beatles and, and uh, Simon and Garfunkel. I was listening to Judy Garland, you know, so... Hearing Susie sing, you know, just like add a tune, like just really like em- emotional and also just really like fuck you. This is what I've got. And if you don't like it, see you later. Xene also had that from X. Uh, the band X from uh, from Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I just love. Yeah, it was her extreme power position. Uh, that was that was so. That was so cool. Also, she she was you know part of the 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 English uh, scene. I love I loved all of that. All the music coming out of the UK. I mean, all of it, obsessed with it. And this was before the internet. So I would like be getting all the vinyl from like the couple of, you know, a lot of times in New York City, spending all my money. But then there was like a couple of stores near where I live, um, the specials and Adam and the Ant. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And the fall. Yeah, so yeah, the fall, totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, what and did like, you see in New York City? I'm oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, people like Susie or Exene or even, like, Johnny Rotten or became Johnny Lydon okay. and then and Marky Smith. Those are not great singers, but, but yet, not technically probably, but yet they have great voices. Yeah, and the... The absolutely unapologeticness of of Susie's singing was was so exhilarating, like bewitching. Totally, right? Absolutely yeah. bewitching. Yeah. So, so those voices, even though you are, you know, a technical, I mean, technically, you are, you know, an incredible musician. You could appreciate people who weren't that technical, but they had something else, like this energy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you call me an incredible musician, that's really kind. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you know, at, at music school, like, you, you would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would be wrong in saying that. Like, I, 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 ha- I had something, it wasn't technical prowess. Definitely, I, I learned to practice a lot, and I got a lot better, and, like, I actually wanted to see how good I could get, and so I went to summer, like, you know, just programs with, with my teacher where you would, just, you would just practice five hours a day and stuff, and I got much better, um, and that was really fun, but I don't, I didn't, 
you know, I, I didn't really, that wasn't like the, the point. Uh, ultimately, I, I wanted to make, make music that moved move people and listen to music that moved me, which included, yeah, a lot of music uh, made by people that didn't go to music school. <laughs> like someone like Mary, isn't Mary is technically kind of frighteningly good, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She wouldn't say it though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Mary made up her own entire language, in my opinion, on the guitar. Like she has her own vocabulary on the guitar and her whole way of playing and like her ease with like just like slipping into like tapping and stuff, like in like in the most unassuming badass way. Like sometimes like I wish so much that you know people people like Eddie Van Halen and Steve I and people would see her play because they'd just be blown away because she has her she's just taken from so many places and has created this whole new world that she writes and plays from. It's 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 amazing. She just told me she's making um, another solo record. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I have everything she's done. Uh, I just love her so much. Do you still get together with her and play every now and then? Uh, we don't live in the same city. But um, we actually talk every week. <laughs> so, uh, and, and our mutual friend, Nathan Larson, who we did a record with in 96 called Mind Science is the Mind. No one heard the record hardly. Um, <laughs> but we talk about making another record together. Um, Nathan Larson, he, I mean, he was the bass player for Swind uh -huh. in DC. Uh, and then he was a guitar player for Shutter to Think. Right. And then, and now he's been like a really successful indie film soundtrack, uh, film film score. Yeah, he's everywhere. Um, he's he does so many. He, yeah, yeah, he really does. He does. Yeah, he really does. He's incredible. Yeah. So, but we, the three of us, talk about reassembling. Um, so I, I hope, I hope we actually do that. Are you practicing every day? Are you, I mean, I, I, you don't strike me as somebody who, who wouldn't, um, is your discipline really strong? And is that something, am, am I correct? That's so, I, I'm glad I strike you as that. It really like, it really wavers. I get into great spaces where I am practicing all the time um and then i can fall out of it it's like meditating it's like wow i'd really love to be that person that's like meditates twice a day and not <laughs> you know um so i mean i i i when i have a goal like for instance right now i'd be rehearsing with the band um i i, I have to i would i would be having to reduce the arrangement on 
this record that's coming out on May 1st to a trio. So we would be working on, I would be trying to figure out how to, how to reduce an entire like super produced song into just a piano vocal or guitar vocal part for me. Um, you know, which is really creative for me and really fun actually. But I don't, you know, now tours been put off. So I'm not doing that. I actually am mixing a live record. So I've been putting a, a lot of my energy into that and not practicing, in my opinion, not practicing enough. <laughs> so um, I'm planning, it's raining really hard here today, which is great for just hunkering down. Uh, and I mean, not that we really <laughs> haven't, haven't been hunkering down, but yeah. um, rain is like somehow very motivating. Um, in, in, in a certain way. So I will, I will definitely play some piano today. And I, I got a, I, I got a baritone. I played it in one of my guitars for a baritone guitar recently. And oh man, that thing is just, that's the best. That's the best. So you're engaging in the musical language, at least every day. Maybe you're not picking up the violin or maybe you're not singing or maybe you're not, but you're doing something that feeds the art. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm working on like five different songs. You know, I'm, I'm working on like, you know, on sessions um, of, of like maybe five different radically different songs. I'm also like doing a lot of, you know, people have asked me to contribute to group uh, uh, you know, collaborations to benefit um, certain people that are really suffering at this time. So I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing tons of of creating. Um, practicing, I could do more of, but creating, I'm I'm really always working on a bunch of songs or a bunch of, you know, even just like, you know, I start a beat and then I'll come back to it and listen to it and add a little bit to it and then shut it down and work on something else and that, you know so yes i'm always working on stuff that's for sure you know being the age that we are it's weird i'm strangely cool with it like it doesn't bother me and, I, and i'm i'm not sure i think in many ways the reason why is kind of what you just said is that i always have five or six projects going i don't it doesn't bother me to get older because i feel like i'm actually getting better at refining the the work that I do. So I don't feel I'm slowing down or declining. I almost feel like I'm like I'm a better version or the best version of myself so far. So so getting older doesn't hasn't really been a problem. How are you doing with it? That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Um yeah, I, I agree with you. Not all that long ago, I wasn't very good at you know i have a home studio now which is like just a godsend and everyone can have one now pretty much right you know it's like so easy but like i wasn't very good at 
at, you know, at recording myself or knowing my, my way around, even though, you know, I've spent so much time in the studio doing so many records. I wasn't very good at like doing it myself. Now, now I make stuff all the time. I just have a lot more experience um, using all the technology, et cetera. Uh, I'm still, I still have my, like, I mean, there's so much for me to learn, but like, I know the basics enough where I can like make a song, which is so empowering. And uh, I'm always learning more about how to work all the stuff. Um, <laughs> and what's cool too is like I have trillions of friends now that I can ask and be like, yo, how I can't make this happen? How do you do this? And then they'll write right back and be like, blah, 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 and then <laughs> I'll know how to do it immediately. I mean, you know, so yes, uh, I mean, I, I definitely, I'm in, a, I'm in such a different place. I feel like every year I'm in a totally different uh, and better place. Um, in terms of creating and and, um, and like just utilizing the tools to make creation easier and more accessible. Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I really I agree with you. <laughs> well, my only worry now is now I am because all these projects and things I want to do, the only thing is now I'm aware of how finite time is. Whereas I did not ever even think about that when I was younger. It was just like, I have, I can do anything I want forever. And now I'm sort of like, I better get that thing done because, you know, I realize that like the beads of the abacus are sort of like, (laughs) they've been slid all the way to a certain place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. That bothers me is you, you become aware, I think, uh, uh, in a, yeah. you know, that con- it's like Blade Runner. It's like you sort of like have that consciousness of, you know, I can I get that time is something that will run out when I was 33. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I throughout my life, I've lost really close people to me. So it sort of was imprinted in a really violent way that <laughs> that. <laughs> Time, that you can't count on time to be there and that you have to do everything you want to do immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's made me a little bit crazy at times where it's like, you know, and I've had to learn to calm down that like, okay, actually you're not going to get through this. If you like, if you stay up every night till 6am and don't get enough sleep and are like running yourself um, into the ground. Um, so I've had to find a, some sort of in between, um, you know, place where I can work, where I can get stuff done, and also be a human, stay healthiest. Um, but yeah, it's it's intense. The 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 time thing is real. <laughs> the time thing is so it's real. real. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yep. I- I feel it. I feel it. Are you, are you good with self-care? Is that, is that, have you gotten better at that? Oh yeah. If I didn't get better at that, I would have, I mean, I would have really, 
it wouldn't be around. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm much better at it. I'm much, I'm much, much better at it. This um, staying in thing has definitely thrown me for uh, a self-care um, curveball. Uh, and I've had, you know, everyone has had to figure out a way, ways to adjust. Um, I'm sort of just now, um, you know, working out a little bit of, of a routine for myself, which really helped me um, stay sane. Um, you know, just like sort of having having a routine and and trying to stick by it. What yeah, so, what have you like? What yeah. have you learned about yourself during this? during the sheltering in place, like spending so much time, like my joke was I looked in the mirror and I said to myself, when this is over, I'm definitely going to be seeing other people. <laughs> but I mean, what have you actually learned about spending so much time with yourself? Has anything sort of come to the front that you didn't know? Over the years, I have had to develop a way of stepping away from my self-critic mind. Um, it used to be that I had no, it, it was just the self-critic mind, self-critical mind that was like running my life. And that was not allowing me to be very happy, um, obviously. I was still getting a lot done. Like I was still really functional, but <clears throat> but you know, it wasn't really. It wasn't proving to be very. I mean, it's just you know, I wasn't being very nice to myself. And you know, over the years, like I've sort of learned to step out of step out of that mind and observe it a little bit more. You know, I'm I'm always learning how to do that a little bit better. But having all this time um, where, oh, I don't have to be anywhere right now. No, I don't have to like, oh, my God, you got to get ready because you got, you know, you leave the house. So they, no, none of that is there. So I've, you know, I've just been witnessing um, my mind and the still horrible way. I, uh, I speak to myself, <laughs> uh, you know, and like, the thing is, is that can be productive, that can be used productively. Um, if, 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 if it's, it, you know, tempered with, um, you know, actually getting stuff like, like, you know, getting stuff done and and then being kinder to one, you know, to myself because of it. But I have noticed how much that 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 voice, how present that voice still is, that I'm able to sort of shut shut down because of the extreme busyness of my life, which I you know I I didn't know it was there so. I move so loudly. So I have, I have been um, just observing that, trying not to be horrified 
by it because that's also not helpful. <laughs> right. Right. And, and just and just sort of like you know, listening to it and be and, you know, sort of saying like, Well that's like way too harsh. So you can just like take it easy on that one, you know. Just try to like talk to it. Talk to it in a nicer way. So that right. maybe it'll talk to me in a nicer way, you know? <laughs> right, because there are two voices, right? The, the, I mean, maybe sometimes more than that, but it, that's so true. And like sheltering in place, being sort of having to isolate, you can, in the quiet, you can hear how loud that voice is, that critical voice. But then there's the other voice that can sort of not do battle with it, but sort of work with it, talk it down a little bit. And that's something that you wouldn't have done it had this not happened. Yeah, I mean, I just noticed how much staying incredibly busy allows me to to tamp down that critical voice. Because, of course, I I do hear it all the time when I'm writing and stuff. But now it's like all the time. You know, it's like it's 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 saying it's saying stuff to me all the time. It's not just when I'm being creative and I'm being still and working on something it's because I'm existing in a much more still environment in general it has all this extra time to cut me down in in all sorts of exciting new ways (laughs) and you know those 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 weren't available um previously because I'd be going to meet a friend, you know, going to whatever, like just living a life in New York City, which is very hectic and really fun, uh, you know, and finding all the fun in New York um, allows you to ignore, you know, which is a great thing, ignore that, that voice that is like being not helpful. Um, but here I am, like, not having those places to go. So, yeah, it's, it's shown me how present that still is and really how I have to continue to um, angle with it and learn to dance with it and, and also take the upper hand. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I think that that is crucial, you know, because sure is. right that that yeah. sort of um, that voice which is just you know can say these horrible things to you. You're right. You have to get the upper hand on it, otherwise it has way too much agency. Absolutely. I love that. That's such a that's such an interest. I got to think about that. That's a good one. And do you think you're getting the upper hand? The fact that I'm. I'm trying to concentrate on the fact that I am aware of it is 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 great to start with. Um, I am. I think I like. I am. This is like what, like a month in or something? Yeah. Three weeks and a half. A month in. Oh yeah, a month in. Um, I am just now beginning to really find the way to tell it to fuck off. (laughs) 
you know. So it's, I mean, this has been such a confusing time. Um, and it's taken, I think, everybody a while <clears throat> to calm down into it in a certain way. But I, I am just like in the, in the last couple of days, I am really in a place where I'm saying, you know, like, Graham. Get it out. Bye. Bye. See you later. Yeah. Don't come back. Uh, yeah. And yeah. then it'll come back. Then it'll come back, you know, in, in, in any, you know, in like two seconds or two minutes or two hours, it'll come back. But then the reverberance of me saying bye is still there. And then I can say it again. And again, and again. <sighs> yeah, you do have the upper hand. You have it. You've got the upper hand. Then that that means that the that the momentum, or at least the power paradigm, has shifted. I mean, yes, I I am hoping so. And actually, you know, putting it into words, of course, is really helpful because it's staying in my mind is one thing but then saying it aloud to you is is making it more real right which is really helpful you know and just hearing the words scram by get out see you later um those actual words like now i will use those actual words either in my mind or out loud because things Things are, you know, just going to get weirder and weirder the more time we spend by ourselves. I know, I know. I mean, the shorthand version of it is the voice goes, you're an asshole. And then you go, no, you're an asshole. <laughs> that's, <it's... laughs> and that's right. That's right. Yeah, you got to play, play the same game. <laughs> I, I hope you, I hope you come to San Francisco. I'd love to see you play. Um, and maybe that happens. Who knows? I don't know if there were any San Francisco dates on the schedule. I forgot to look. Um, but I haven't who... played the United States other than New York City for like a long time because I just gave up. Ugh. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, I will, I mean, I may try to do some solo dates. I did about six months of solo touring last year in, in Europe, and so I know I can do that. And so I may do that when all of this has come to an end. I always want to bring the, the people I play with because it's just so fun for me and I know for everyone else. Um, it's just trying to make that work is sometimes an impossibility. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. Where should I play in San Francisco? Where, you should play. Where should I play in San Francisco? Let's see. I think you could fill uh, Great American Music Hall. I think you'd fill that place. Um, that's over on Van Ness. But I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you can do it. That's a that's a great venue for you. They they would love you there. Um, but you know, we just we just lost Slims, which was owned by Boz Skaggs. Great club. 
uh, that's closing. A lot of places are closing, but Great American is a is a great venue for you. And I want you to come back on the show. I've loved talking to you. I have adored you for so long. I'm so happy to chat with you. I'm so happy to chat with you too. I feel like next time I need to do more interviewing of you. <laughs> you can ask me anything. Sure. Why not? Okay, great. This is my favorite kind of, uh, you know, communication is like you said, just no prep, no prepared questions. Just hang. Let's just hang. That's what we do. Um, well, yeah. I've loved it. And, I, and thank you. Thank you for spending time with me. I, I, I've loved every second of it. I'm so glad, Alex. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You too. Enjoy. You too. You too. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Please, My plan is to definitely bring Jonah's policewoman back on the show as a guest. That was a lot of fun. She's great, isn't she? Her album cover, too, is really, I know I said it before, but it is so good. It's phenomenal. Why don't you have it? Go get it. Joanaspolicewoman.com. Go to her website and, uh, and buy it. Buy some other stuff, too, since you're there. You will not be sorry. I promise. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com. Uh, go there. See what's going on with me. Some big news about to break about my new book. I know I've been teasing you about that for about 14 months it's a slow process being a writer, um, but we have some big news to share. The book will be out June 10th. Well, there's the big news. I just gave it to you. Uh, but details and, uh, and all the particulars can be found on my website very soon, alexgreenonline.com. You can email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com, or just follow me on Twitter, at emberseditor, or follow me on Instagram, at emberspodcast. Well, look— do all three. You don't have to pick one. <laughs> Why am I presenting it as a dilemma and not uh, and not a series of choices that you can make uh, that are all inclusive? I don't know. Um, here's the deal about Stereo Embers, the podcast. We can be found virtually anywhere. Pick your podcast platform that makes you the happiest and most comfortable, and we are there. Subscribe, tell a friend, leave a nice comment. It doesn't even matter which order you do any of that stuff in. Do it all. We would appreciate it. And of course, we appreciate you listening to us and supporting the program week in and week out. Let's close the show with another new song from Joan as Policewoman's new album. This is a cover of a Gil Scott Heron number called Running. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Because I always feel like we're running. Away because there is no such place. Because if there was, I would have found it by now. Because it's easier to run. Easier than staying and finding out You're the only 
Because running will be the way your life and mine will be described as in the long run or as in having given someone a run for his money or as in Because I'm not going to tell you. 